This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. To win in December in this league. Got the wishbone going on too. Keeps it. Wide open is Troutman for the touchdown. Adam Troutman with another touchdown from Russell Wilson. It's becoming a thing. Interesting on the last play of last week. For some reason, it wasn't an opportunity to be a thing, but I digress. Joining us now to talk about it is Mile High Sports lead Broncos writer, host of the Good Morning Broncos podcast, was Locked on Broncos podcast. Got a lot of stuff going. Cody Rourke, NFL is the social media handle. Cody Rourke of Mile High Sports Joneses. Cody, thanks so much. This turnaround for the Denver Broncos, uh, we're getting to the point where you're probably having to start to look for historical parallels for a team that started one and five. But it has been driven, even though the offense has gotten better, it has clearly been driven by this defense. And those turnarounds have been historic. What have you seen in the last half dozen games that the Broncos are doing that they were not doing prior to that? Well, I think they're healthy for the most part. That's that's one thing that definitely was not the case early on when they struggled. But I just think that they've gotten more comfortable with uh, the you know with Vance Joseph's scheme and the way that it's being called. And, and look, we're seeing an ultra aggressive Vance Joseph, which is really really nice to see. You know, Justin Herbert's the type of guy who you know coming into Sunday's game was the eighth least sacked quarterback in the league. Yeah. They got him four times yeah. in the first half. Right. Finished with two more on Easton Stick, and so. I mean, they even set one on fourth and 19 where they blitzed Patrick Sertan. They blitzed P.J. Locke, who got home. They sent right. everybody. As there. they should have. I, I love, I loved yeah. it. Yeah, I think you have to look at Vance Joseph's coaching as a big part of this defensive transformation and the aggressiveness. And it, not only that uh, Herbert coming into the game was hard to sack, it, it, he had been functioning very well against the blitz. So it wasn't like he wasn't used to getting blitzed and they weren't used to defending and protecting against the blitz. And yet the way the Broncos blitzed yesterday seemed to baffle them. And even after Nick Benito went out of the game, they kept coming and coming and coming. It didn't affect the pass rush to lose their leading pass rusher, at least by measure of sacks. Yeah, and that was, a, you know, I think just the, the design came everywhere. I mean, six sacks on the day, six different players had a sack. It was right. Justin Simmons, Jaquan McMillan. Obviously, Zach Allen had one. Alex Singleton, Josie Jewell had one. I'm trying to remember who the other guy was now, top of my head, who was able to come away with P.J. Locke. There you go. Yeah. Six of them right there. Defensive and backs and linebackers. On defense. Yeah. yeah. Eight, For the most part. Eight, um, eight different players on defense also had a pass defense. Right in Sunday's game, and right. I mean, they just kind of. I think that fourth down stop that they had on that first series after that, you know, that throw by Russ to Marvin Mims, a little bit behind him. Marvin had two hands on the ball, just couldn't secure it. After it got picked, I was like, man, this is the worst start that they could have envisioned here for a big game that they need to capitalize on. And then the defense was able to get a stop on fourth down there. To me, that kind of set the tone for the entire game. And Denver ran with it, and obviously. Uh, you know, with uh, Baron Browning tipping a pass at the line of scrimmage, leading to Jonathan Cooper getting a pick. Javante Williams punched it in. Denver left some points out there on the field, which, you know, I mean, the, the idea going to halftime, it should have been a bigger blowout than 10 nothing. Uh, but you know what? I, I had some gripes, I think, through three quarters outside of Cortland Sutton's big play. I was not very happy with the Broncos' offense, but I think in the fourth quarter on one specific drive, in my opinion, they really redeemed themselves from it because, 
They had a 13-play drive. It took nearly seven minutes and 30 seconds off the clock. They had four third-down attempts that they converted on there in a crucial moment, and that to me I think was okay. As bad as it was through three quarters, that was a redemption factor for them in the game. Wasn't uh, one of the aspects of the game that maybe we we didn't expect was <laughs> that when they did have that early turnover, and you th- I'm, I'm thinking of the game against Washington earlier in the season when the head coach after the game said that with a huge lead, one fumble by Russell Wilson just changed everything right. around as if it were somehow against the law for the defense to stop them after the turnover. And yesterday, I, I, I know I might have felt differently a couple of months ago, but I'm thinking... I, I'm not sure the Chargers can get in. The Chargers haven't scored a touchdown in a long, long time. And even if they get a field goal here, it's a win for the defense. And, of course, they came away with nothing. But I, maybe I'm in the minority on this. I thought they were right to go for six because when you get a turnover early in the game like that and it's first and goal, I'm sorry, you're supposed to get Seven points at least. You're not supposed to have to settle for three. And yeah, I thought Denver's defense was great, but it also didn't surprise me when the offense turned right back around and drove for a touchdown. Yeah. Now they needed an interception to to help them do that, but st- it, and it wasn't really a drive. It was one play for three yards. It's a, but but what I'm saying is it didn't seem to rattle a team that earlier in the year got rattled by everything. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that's a great point there because there would be one negative play that would happen and Denver simply couldn't in previous right. teams recover from it. Right. They found right. a way to do it. And, I, I, you know, I don't know where it comes from. I think that's actually a great thing. I may ask Sean Payton that yeah. this week. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good question for Payton. What, what did, and I, he can't say, well, that didn't happen when I was around because it did. It yeah. happened earlier this year. And it's a credit to you and your coaching staff that the attitude after mistakes now is totally different. So I would think yeah, he'd 100%. give a pretty good answer to that. No, I think he would, too. And, and you know, I think – you know, so much of this is that these guys, they've just been able to buy in. I mean, at, at the trade deadline, Sean Payton stood pat. And, you know, for a lot of people, they're like, oh, I don't know why they're doing that. They, you know, they should sell everything. But there, it's clearly, you know, he said it from the onset that there's a vision with this team, not only just for this year, but for next year. But the reality of the situation is, is we're starting to see that vision kind of come into play a little bit here where they trust the defense. They're working on trying to iron out some of the kinks that they have on the offensive side of the ball. But more importantly, I think they are playing, you know, from a from a standpoint of being efficient and balanced for the most part there. And you know, I think in these four games that are coming up here, we're going to find out. I think in the next two games, going to be paramount. I'm, I'm in particular Saturday's game's a big game here for Denver. Now, I think the benefit here is obviously if they lose this game, it's a non-conference game. That means that you know, if you lose that game, you have to hope some other teams that are in the area that you're at lose on Sunday. But Denver is very, very capable of winning this game here on Saturday. You know, the, the Lions have a tough test on offense. They have, you know, good skill players. They have good rush running backs. They have a great offensive line. But if they can generate pressure on Jared Goff, which I think that they can, 
I think that Denver's going to have a really good opportunity to make this very interesting. But Denver, their offense, they're going to be taking on a very, very stingy defense there led by Aiden Hutchinson. And obviously Anzalone, he's, uh, he's playing really terrific football this year. It's going to be a big test for them. Regarding the offense and Russell Wilson in particular, obviously, you know, the interception to, to Marvin Mims on the opening play, I think could probably go on Mims more than Wilson. But when you look at the way he has played, uh, obviously discounting the, the Houston game, which was a stinker, there's no question about it. But on the whole, the idea of what he has done uh, for this team as becoming sort of a game manager, it's not often that you see veteran quarterbacks completely adjust and adapt to that. To me, it seems like Wilson deserves a lot of credit for knocking his own ego down and doing what the team needs him to do rather than what he'd probably like to do. Yeah, no, 100%. And look, Russ is completely bought into what Sean Payton has done. You know, looking at these guys, watching them at practice, I mean, they're, they're very coachable. Sean Payton has a lot of great teaching points that, we, you know, on Fridays when we're indoors, we get to hear a little bit more because we're a little bit closer to the action. We get to see some really cool things there, and Russ is super receptive to that. The players are very receptive to that. Sean Payton's telling them why it's important that they hit specific landmarks and how it times it, what to be looking for based on the front, based on where the ball is at within the 20-yard line or even the 35-yard line. They're, they're just the, the attention to detail by Payton, I think, is so particular that players are saying, well, if he's so focused in on this, then, okay, let's see it. Like, you know, let's see why he is. And they're starting to see that, and there's a little bit of a belief factor that goes into that. And now that they've had some success, they've won six of the last seven games, they're saying, you know what, there is a method to this. It's not always easy, but you know what, it's working, and they're in the right direction. And uh, I, I think it's a great place for Denver to be at this point with four games left on the year. I, I had to chuckle yesterday, and I, I thought the announcers uh, did a good job of uh, – conveying this story uh you know that uh, catalan and matt ryan and tiki uh were doing the game yesterday for cbs and you know they sit down with peyton in the production meeting and i guess uh maybe some of the players too and they're all talking about how great the practices were last week and i know you don't get to watch the whole yeah. practice session but even the announcers were saying they kind of rolled their eyes a little bit and said, yeah, that's what they all say. Have you ever heard a coach in a production <laughs> meeting say, our practices this week stunk? And I don't know <laughs> if we have any chance to play well today as a result of that. Of course, no coach would ever say that. But it seemed oh, in this man. case to be indicative of how they would play. And I'm trying to think of the one guy – on this team who maybe has changed everyone's impression about him most completely, maybe since the trade deadline. And I'll ask you the question, uh, do you think the Broncos are thrilled or just happy that they didn't trade Cortland Sutton, even for a second-round pick? They should be so happy, and he's got tremendous value for them going forward. I mean, just the, the work that Cortland has put in, and, and I know everyone's like, how can you get back to the 2019 version? I think the 2023 version of Cortland Sutton is the best we've ever seen from him, and he's making these tough contested catches. He's just in great body positioning there. To your point about coaching, I can tell you this as a former coach, talking to the media, there were times we have absolutely had awful, terrible practices where as a, as a coach, I'm like, we're going to get stopped this week. Like, based on how we're practicing, we're not going to play well. 
Uh, but, you know, in the media, you always have to say, yeah, you know, we had a good week of practice. Our kids are focused, even though the reality of the situation is. Remember Vance Joseph, right? <laughs> he never saw Wednesday practice he didn't love. Couldn't understand oh, how the Broncos yeah. ever would lose a game on Sunday after having a great Wednesday practice. No, it was one of those things. But, yeah, it was uh, it was definitely interesting how uh, how things have kind of played out here. But, you know, I think um, for just where Denver's at with, with Cortland, and, and it's just clear that he and Russell Wilson have a great connection between the two. They've really invested a lot in it, and it's paying off for them. Now, of course, uh, they find themselves in control of their own situation. They could end up winning 11 games. That would almost certainly get them in the playoffs, barring something bizarre. But all they have to do is win the remaining AFC games against a Chargers team now that Justin Herbert is almost certainly out for the rest of the year, a Patriots team that is a disaster, and a Raiders team that couldn't manage any points at all yesterday. I don't mean to put expectations on a team that still feels, look, at times, you know, I was I was texting back and forth with the game, the game like a lot of us do. Uh, there were a couple Tim Tebow mentions involved in this sort of like, uh, you're winning, but it always feels a little bit precarious. It never feels in control. Uh, it feels as if, you know, you're just sort of hanging on for dear life. Are we at a point where the Denver Broncos are living up to Sean Payton's argument and they should be a playoff team? I think that they should, yeah, 100%. And, and I hate looking back on it, but just it makes games like last week oh. against Houston, the games in week one and two against the Raiders and the Commanders, if Denver took care of just one or two of those three games, they're leading the AFC West right now. I mean, they're, they're, they're the mm-hmm. division leader. And it, it, it's, even though they're one game out right now, which is crazy to think about as well. But yeah, That's I, I the craziest thing in the thinking. league to think about, that they're one game out of first place. Not that they'll catch Kansas City, but it is the craziest thing right now in the NFL standings that the Broncos are one game out of first place. Well, six weeks ago, we would have never thought this would have been the situation that Denver would be in. And so it's crazy to see how the tables have turned a little bit. The chiefs have kind of fallen down to earth. So I mean, it's kind of nice to be able to see where, you know, where things are at there. But I I think ultimately, you know, for, for Denver, I think there is a belief. The players believe that they're a playoff team. PJ Locke told us last week that really their biggest opponent is themselves. And if they can overcome some of the things that they've encountered throughout the year that pop up from time to time, they believe that they can beat anybody. And I think when you have a locker room of guys who know that and who believe that, I think it makes it more contagious to see it carry over. And I think that this is a team that if Denver makes it into the playoffs, I don't know if you're one of those teams ahead of him if you want to play Denver first. So that is uh, – Denver's going to be a little bit of a wild card here, in my opinion, if they can make it in. Well, yeah, literally. Um, I, and and maybe you even drag I, – I can't believe I'm saying this – maybe even drag Jacksonville down into this discussion because yeah. Jacksonville – the other amazing thing is that Indianapolis and Houston are one game behind Jacksonville now. Yeah, right. It's almost yeah. as shocking as Denver being call. behind Kansas City by one game. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. amazing. What? And I, I, I just want to say here to get it out, thank goodness uh, the Broncos missed Joe Flacco by a week. Or they might not have that <laughs> win over Cleveland, right? Our old friend Joe Flacco. Thank goodness the Broncos were uh, a week early in getting the Joe Flacco treatment. They missed him. Yeah. Well, it was weird because apparently, you know, they named him the starter for the rest of the season, but they, they reverted back to the practice squad today. So that's it's interesting the way that they, uh, you know, the way things are going there. But you yeah, know, but Denver's he played well. I mean, they're going with the guys playing the best, I guess, right? 
One hundred percent. So when you look at the AFC North, you look at the AFC South. Those teams kind of really control the division, like just the the number of teams that are in the playoff yeah, right now. Which yeah, is, that's is a great point. But that's going to fall off because they've got a lot of games against each other that are coming up. So if Denver can take their business, I think if they yeah. win two of their next four games, I, I think Denver's got a really great chance of getting. I was going to yeah, ask you whether you think that's good or bad, and I, I I think I agree with you that at this point, now that they've won their way back to seven and six it's probably a good thing because somebody has to lose too. It isn't just that somebody has to win, which is the negative way of looking at it. It's somebody has to lose when Indy plays Houston in week 18, uh, when uh, Pittsburgh plays at Indy this coming week. I mean, somebody's got to lose too. And that helps the Broncos. Even if the Broncos lose to Detroit, it doesn't hurt them in tiebreakers. And if they win the rest, uh, 10 and 7, their tiebreaker position doesn't look that bad. No, they're actually in a very good spot right now in comparison to the rest of the league. I think in just terms of where you want to be situationally, there's some obviously division leaders there. And look, here's the Chiefs. You know, they have a, a game against the Patriots on the road, which that Patriots defense is pretty tough. And I'm not sure if Thursday yeah. night against the Steelers was an anomaly, but with everything that's going on, I mean, the it's Patriots just so out of the weird. playoff front. Yeah, they are in a position to play spoils to people, yeah. not only just the Chiefs, but also to Denver in two weeks as well. So, well, it's, you're it's right. And and that that's why it, it, there is no game you can say is absolutely unwinnable because everybody's writing about Detroit today, as well as the three other division leaders, Kansas City, Jacksonville, and Philly, who all lost. Right, and yep. everybody's writing about Detroit, and boy. Detroit's defense is terrible again, and the injuries are beginning on defense at least to catch up with them. And, uh, boy, Goff has certainly been impressive, but as he was during his days in L.A., when you breathe on him, he has trouble, and he makes mistakes. Yeah. So, And the Broncos did more than breathe on uh, Herbert and Stick yesterday. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, they're a team, too. Third down for them is like second down. Fourth down for them is like third down for the Detroit Lions. They're not afraid to go for it anywhere. They have good combination. Two backs that are really good. Obviously, a good offensive line. We'll see if Frank Wagnall is able to play this yeah. week for them. Right. He's got a knee injury. Um, and then on top of that, too, is Jared Goff, like, he will overthrow. He will make some mistakes, as we saw against the Chicago Bears. Yeah. They got, well, they got pressure by on. the Bears on Sunday. So, Denver's got a really good chance here on Sunday on Saturday. He is Cody Rourke. Make sure you give him a follow at Cody Rourke NFL this week, of course, as we get ready for the Detroit game. Uh, that's the beauty this time of year. It's the most important game of the year up until the next one. <laughs> that's yep. what this Detroit <laughs> one will be as well. Make sure that you uh, give Cody a follow and check out everything he's putting together at My Life Sports, as well as the couple of podcasts he's hosting, the Good Morning Broncos broadcast and the Locked on Broncos. Cody, thanks so much. Appreciate you guys. Have a good one. All right. Thank you, Cody Rourke, joining us. This is... Uh, I agree with him, Sandy. The Denver Broncos at this point should, I think it is fair for the expectations, they should be a playoff team. Or at the very least, if you miss, it's because you missed on tiebreakers with 10 yes. wins. Yes. I think yes. that's realistic. Yes. So yes. we shall and they, see. They, they don't have total control over that. Uh, and you said earlier, and I agree with you, they probably won't win out. Um and, you know, maybe they'll beat Detroit and then slip against somebody else. You'd hate to see that because if there's one game they can afford to lose, that's the game, not just because of the quality of the opponent, but because of the non-conference nature of the opponent. And I think 
everyone is in that position among the teams uh, I'm looking at. Uh, they've all got one game left against the NFC and three in-conference games. I think everybody is the same that way, uh, except Houston, strangely enough. Houston's got at Tennessee, Cleveland, Tennessee, and at Indy. So Houston is the one team. Since he's got Minnesota, Buffalo's got Dallas coming up. Yeah, Houston's the only team with four games left all in the conference. And, of course, Houston and Denver, the t- if, if you're rooting for a team to do okay, maybe it's Houston because they'd they be in the tiebreaker anyway. Let's take a look for a moment over at the Colorado Avalanche, who, well, seem to be having their own little bumpy road as well. Look, it's been, been some losing for the local teams here until the Broncos got their win. Maybe it'll be contagious. We'll take a look at the Avalanche next on My Life Sports. Love will find us. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. We had lots of games lately, uh, but I think we've been we've been playing pretty well. We've been battling every night. You know, you you cannot say point in any guy that you didn't work hard. You know, I think everybody trying their best, and you know sometimes it's. Uh, it's a long season, so I think we're going to be able to turn it around here, and uh, it's going to be ups and downs, but uh, we just have to try to keep it leveled, so we, we're going to bounce back. That was the voice of Ivan Prosvetov, the Avalanche's backup goaltender and the loser in the 5-2 loss to Philadelphia on Saturday, a game in which the Avs kind of weren't really in all that much, and they have now uh, lost five out of their last six. I know two of them I came in the extra time, so they did get a point out of that. But for a team as as good as they are, that's not, you know, you've walked off the ice happy once in your last six games. That's not the best way for this team to get going. And it it does seem like there are some issues. They get the Calgary Flames uh, tonight at home. They will, uh, again, continue that homestand right now. So far, they've lost uh, two of the three but they will then get Buffalo on Wednesday. But against Calgary here, it feels like a game that somewhere, Sandy, this team has kind of got to knuckle up here. In in the last, here, here's the goals they've scored in the last six games. Two, two, three, one, three in a shootout, and three in an overtime game. This team had been averaging 
over four. And, and, and I, it's just fallen off a cliff. It has. And have in the standings the avalanche fallen off a cliff? Well, I, I guess going from first to the possibility, if they don't win tonight, the, almost a certainty of dropping all the way to third. Presently, they're in second. But it, Dallas has a game in hand on them, just one point behind. Winnipeg is first at 16-8-9. The Avs are 16-9-2, and Dallas is 15-8-3. So, that I mean, those are tightly bunched teams. The Avalanche have played one more uh, game. Uh, yeah, 16-8-2 for Winnipeg, 16-9-2 for the Avalanche, and 15-8-3 and for Dallas haven't fallen off a cliff, but some of the disturbing numbers, the Avalanche have now demoted Ryan Johansson to the fourth line. Right. From the second in just a couple of games. He was on a fourth line the other night. Now, he played more minutes on the fourth line than he had played on the third line with Colton playing on the second line. Well, now I think they, I think Bednar got it right when he put Colton back down on the third line between Wood and Kibiranta. Although they weren't outstanding as a line, I think that's the right third line for the moment. Uh, the experimentation came with Nashushkin back in the lineup. He had Rent in centering Nashushkin and Tatar, and that really didn't work very well either. There was no chemistry among those three. They didn't play well. Uh, top line, uh, McKinnon's fantastic. But uh, I noticed there were comments after the game that, well, McKinnon has been great. No one else is standing out. And I, I get what Prozatov is saying. Nobody is stinking it out. But you know, it's it, it, what I was saying the other day. Well, we're not doing anything wrong. Well, no, but you're not doing anything right either, except for one guy who seems to be driving yeah, yeah. play on every shift. And he's been terrific. And, you know, let, listen, other guy, Cogliano's a pro. Uh, Taves is a pro. Uh, you know, McCarr's not playing his best, but we expect brilliance every night sometimes from McCarr and that. It, that isn't realistic. Uh, they're pros who are giving professional efforts, but I, I I don't see a lot that's right going on at the moment. And I'm I'm looking at this power play, and I'm wondering whatever happened to it. They're in the bottom half of the league as a power play team mm-hmm. this year. Last year there was sixth. Yeah. Okay, I, I, you explain that one. I, I can't. Because they're, they're last telling, year they had all these injuries. McKinnon and McCarr missed and to my mind, stretches. They're, they're talented they're sixth. They're, they're, they're more talented. They're deeper than they were last year. It's absolutely perplexing. And these are the things. Okay. And they've given up 10 goals in the final minute of a regulation period. Boy, that's weird, isn't that That's weird? tied for the league lead and with that, the Islanders. That's bad. That is just... Complacency, complacency, laziness, letting up, getting too lax, deciding like, ah, 
you know, period's almost over. You, you're the kids at elementary school not paying attention to the last five seconds on the quiz because recess is a minute away. <laughs> and, and that's <laughs> that's kind of the way the Avs have been playing. The Avs are waiting for recess. Right. The bell's about to go literally, off. Literally. The horn's about to sound. They get to go in the locker room for intermission. They're waiting for recess. And, it, it, the, and, and I'm not picking on... Taze, because he isn't the only one who's made this mistake. Obviously, there there have been nine other goals scored in the last minute of a period, but the one he made the other night, I mean, even the local announcers were were like, what is he doing? He's back with two teammates, two seconds left. There's one four-checker, and he bangs the puck off the boards right to the four-checker who hits the second forward coming in, and he has time to release a shot that happens to beat Georgiev. And yes, just like we said about the Bronco defense earlier in the season, there's no law that says Georgiev can't make that save. He isn't permitted to make a save when his defenseman makes a mistake like that. Sure, but the defenseman literally, as Bednar said, in in this case Taves, could have done anything else with the puck. Anything else except what he did. How many options did that give him? A dozen, two dozen, three dozen? Could have done anything other than what he did, and there's no goal. And they might not win the game. Maybe they lose anyway in overtime, but at least they get a point out of it. And, I mean, these kinds of just silly, inexplicable mistakes just, to me, don't don't make any sense. And... Please, uh, I'm begging people who are posting, not, not listeners of ours, we're not getting text to this effect. I want to make that clear. Nazem Kadri will be in town. Mm-hmm. Tonight, right. right. Is not the answer. And as reading all that, well, how could they break up a Stanley Cup team by letting Nazem Kadri go? Because Nazem Kadri, for his career, first of all, five times in 15 years, he's been a plus player. Fortunately, a few of those years came with the avalanche, okay? and especially the last one. Right. And he was indispensable to their Stanley Cup run. He is being generous if you account for early season uh, or early career. Uh, numbers, which obviously wasn't playing a full schedule as a young player's first two or three years, technically with the Maple Leafs, he wasn't playing a lot uh, for various reasons. And so I'm only taking basically the last decade, maybe 11 years of his career where he's been a full-time player, right? It'd be generous to call him a 50-point scorer on an yeah. average basis. It, that, that would be very generous. It, but let's be generous and give him 20 goals and 30 assists. I mean, JT Comfort gave you that last year. Right. Right? And he was deemed not good enough. Well, he wasn't good enough because half the team got hurt, and he had to play probably more second-line minutes than he should have had to play, and certain guys like Alex Newhook didn't develop the way they had hoped. That's just one of those things. They trade him on um, uh, during the offseason. Um, but you could not pay him for what for a fifty point per year guy. You couldn't pay him seven and a half million a year. 
you couldn't. Right. And you lost, he wasn't the only one you lost. You lost Burakovsky, too. Burakovsky had a hell of a year last year. Nazem Kadri's team right now is 11, 13, and 3. I, I'm, I'm just saying, yes, he lifted them. The guys that one the, year, they he need had a career to fix year. this are the guys in the room. But the guys are in the room. Significant help is not yeah. coming. Can they make a couple tweaks? At the trade deadline, maybe they can, but it's not going to be huge. Well, there's a guy uh, in Columbus, and they're terrible, and maybe they'll be looking to sell in the next month or two. But I uh, heard uh, Jenner's name mentioned, their captain, the mm-hmm. other day. Well, he broke his jaw, and he's out for two months. Yeah. So uh, check that one off your list of prospective trades. And you know what? If you could trade and I'm paying no attention to uh, whatever is happening now in his rehab stint, and I have great respect for Samuel Gerard for coming out the way he did. Mm-hmm. But if you could trade him for a top six forward, I- I'd certainly entertain it. Sure, sure. But you know what I'm almost tempted to entertain as well? And I won't do it because I think he's got bigger upside right. and he's younger. Uh Bo Byram. Bo Byram. That's because exactly what I've thought as well. I, I, I'm just, I, I, I might think. About I, I wouldn't it. take it off the table. I'm not at that point yet. You have Malinsky. Every, you have Jones yeah. available. I would, I would consider it. Every, but yeah, every time, you know, you, you, you read a piece and people list these two or three guys. Well, they might be able to trade. For the, I swear, at least one of them, like a night or two later, gets hurt. But if the Avs don't want to big moves but to shake things up that's in their hands they can solve that get right play all the way to the horn as sandy <laughs> pointed out that'll help let's see if they get it done with calgary i'm going to remind you refer a friend and get a 50 dollars bonus this season with superbook sports superbook is the most trusted name in sports wagering and you don't want to miss the refer a friend bonus all you need to do is click on the refer a friend link under your profile on the superbook app Share that promo code with your friends and you'll get a $50 bonus for everyone who registers using your code. So win money wagering and win money referring this season with Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. The Los Angeles Dodgers may be giving Shohei Otani $700 million over the next 10 years. But uh, is it a gamble? Not really because they've found a way to... um, Will not pay very much of it anytime soon. We'll explain next on My Life Sports. is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. News breaking during this show, of course, over the weekend, Shohei Otani signed with the L.A. Dodgers, leaving the Angels to go to the Crosstown Dodgers, which literally everyone who I guess doesn't follow Drake on Instagram knew. Oddly, after Drake posted a photo of himself in an Otani jersey on Instagram, whole bunch of betters ran to all the folks in Las Vegas and they put bets on him going to the Blue Jays, Drake's uh, preferred team. So perhaps following maybe, maybe, uh, let's say in, 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 in betting parlance, 
perhaps fade Drake. Just saying. <laughs> um, 10 years, $700 million. Nothing tricky in it. $70 million a year for 10 years. By far the largest contract in the history of North American professional sports. And this comes after a year in which Otani had to shut down part of his game because of arm stress. But here's this. According to the reports, starting by Aiden Gonzalez of ESPN, due to Shohei Otani's idea, he's deferring some salary. Go and Bobby Bonilla on you, if you will. <laughs> to make sure that they could get more players, because the Dodgers always have a difficult time fielding a large payroll, the decision by Otani was to defer some of his money. And by some, I mean... 97% of it. Shohei Otani will reportedly be paid $2 million a year by the Dodgers for the next 10 years with $680 million deferred to be paid between 2034 and 2043. This is why in baseball, if they're going to have something that they call a salary cap, make it a salary cap, make it a hard cap. And I don't care when he gets his money. He's averaging seventy, which million is what they do in hockey, and that's they what take they do average in annual value, and that's what that's they get. It. They don't care when you pay it, but you you made the contract. It's X years Absolutely. this much because here's and what. Of course, he loves it. He, he makes a well, zillion he makes, a year makes, in endorsements. Yeah, on average, he's made he well care. over forty-five million in endorsements every year. He's the most marketable wrong. player in baseball. It, it's really, and wrong. he gets to go to the Dodgers, where he'll be marketable more. Right. And here's the problem: because if you have baseball as this competitive balance tax, right? Which is all sorts of ways around it. But anyway, it, it has helped a little bit. But the funny thing is all it's helped is it's knocked player salary down because the lower salary teams haven't actually been spending it to keep up. So baseball's right. a mess there. But how about this? Because of the way the loophole works in there, because nobody at the time when they came up with the competitive balance tax thought that someone was going to make $700 million over 10 years, because of the way it defers, instead of counting against the, the tax payroll for the Dodgers at $70 million, it counts for $46 million. So by doing this, Otani gets all his money anyway. He doesn't really care all that much. But the Dodgers save $24 million, $24 million that they can spend before hitting the, the luxury tax that they otherwise would have had to spend. That luxury tax threshold is $237 million. So... That's a 10% savings off the max the Dodgers get by doing this. The Dodgers are going to get what they want because the Dodgers always get what they want because the Dodgers are the richest team. But baseball, if they're going to be serious about not having their league turn into the Yankees and the Dodgers for the most part, and I get it because the, the argument that can be made counter of it, Sandy, that's a good one. When the Yankees won the World Series, it was a long time it ago. Was. It but, was. And, and, and that's the argument against. Baseball is, could fairly say that they've and had the a Dodgers ton of different... once in 35 yeah, years. They've had a ton of different uh, teams years. that win because I get it. The problem I get with this argument, and I have it every year in baseball, they're like, well, your money you spend doesn't guarantee a World Series. No, it does not. But you know what it does? A massive margin for error. Don't go at who wins the World Series. Go who makes the playoffs the most often. And there you will see a lot of Yankees and a lot of Dodgers almost every year. Because when you can spend what they can spend on free agency, now you can trade away from your farm at will. And you can do the kind of things we saw with the Dodgers. We'll just borrow Manny Machado for $25 million for half a season and let him walk. Oh, they'll do rentals all the time. High-dollar rentals. Yeah. And sure. that's the catch. 
Does it guarantee you a World Series? No. Does it all but guarantee you an opportunity to the playoffs? Basically, yes. And if baseball wants to get serious about trying to find other teams and not have maybe a college football playoff situation where, oh, guess what? Yeah. We know about three of the teams that are going to be in it every single year, whether they expand or not. you got to fix this nonsense because the Dodgers are going to make money off of Shohei Otani's contract, even uh-huh. at $700 million. And you know what they're going to do? This again. Sure. And if you're, and that, look, sure. I get it. The Colorado Rockies are a disaster and deserve to be exactly where they are. But if you're the Colorado Rockies, this is one of the arguments I could make if I'm the ownership. I'm like, why try? Yeah, it's a point. Why try? Yeah. What's, point. what's the point? I'll run out. I'll just run out some young guys and maybe who knows lightning strikes and we get lucky. What's yeah. the point? Right. And, and that would be a perfectly defensible argument for Colorado Rockies based on the way this spells out in the NL West. So there's other ways to fix it. You could get rid of divisions, I suppose. That would be a very functional way of helping. But the way it stands, good for Shohei Otani. I never complain about guys earning their money, but oh, this is an unfortunate, it. ugly way for the Dodgers to get around salary right. cap right. and, and destabilize the game. It's not wrong for the Dodgers to sign that, him. Yeah. It's not wrong for him to go there. What is wrong is being able to get away with deferring, as you say, 97% of this deal. And... And and having it benefit them in relation to the tax threshold or whatever you want to call it, and count only forty six million rather than seventy million, which under a real cap it would count. I don't care how you pay them, when you pay them, it would be seventy million dollars a year counted against them, and. Maybe they don't mind paying it. They're rich, and, of course, Balmer with the Clippers, he doesn't care about aprons, nope. tax aprons. He'll, he'll spend right through them. Makes no difference to So him. he doesn't care. But in in baseball, it, it does make a difference, not necessarily in terms of championships, but being in the mix every year, being in contention yeah. every year, Yes. Other teams, Money the wrong injury takes you, you out. In but when the, the keep, but it keeps you in because you can go do something to fix right. it that other teams right. can't. And, and right. to get an idea, you always hear, you know, well, baseball's sort of dying. No, baseball's not dying. Baseball is no, a baseball had a good year. It is a regional sport, yeah. is what it is. it is. But get an but, idea with this: the the Broncos just, just went for four point six billion, right? Four point yeah. six billion. Yeah. The Dodgers' current television contract, right? Locally. Pays them $4 billion. Right. That's not the Dodgers paying a dime. The Dodgers get paid $4 million, not to buy them, but for a team just to pay the Dodgers to show them on television. Right. Do you think the Dodgers care a bit about a $700 million contract to show Otani? Of course not. They're not even remotely concerned. By the time they pay this, a TV contract is going to be $8 billion. Yeah. That's right. What do they care? And so. It's got to find a way to get get fixed. And, and the, the competitive balance, fine. Like Sandy suggested. Do it like hockey then. Okay, 10-year contract, that, that's easy. $70 million, that's what it counts. All 10 years. Boom, 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 yeah. boom, 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 boom. And I know in hockey, the standings are listed. Yeah, we don't care division, how you pay him. You want to defer 97%? That's between you and your player. But for the next 10 years, right. he counts right. $70 million towards right. the competitive balance. I, I, I agree. And, uh, you know, again, the, the hockey divisions, well, you know, they've 
made them a little more relevant than the NBA divisions are because the top three teams from every division automatically make it no matter what their records are top three in every division uh, always make it. And, that, and that's a good thing. But I, I think NBA, you don't see divisional standing. They don't mean anything. You see conference standings. They're right. the only ones that count. The, the top six are exempt from the play-in tournament, seven through ten in the conference. Yeah. Make it no matter what divisions exist purely for scheduling convenience That's and to occasionally allow an also ran to hang a banner and make their fan base Maybe. feel better. Maybe. Yeah. And that's yeah, literally that, it. That's, that's what it is. And in, in baseball, you know, I listen for, for a long, long time. Baseball had 16 teams. And even after expansion, they had 10 teams in each league. And the early years of it, it, divisional play with just two divisions in each league. Remember that right. <laughs> way back when uh, they, they, they play uh, all divisional games in the month of September when the races were uh, heating up. And that, that was great. Now it really doesn't matter with all the interleague play that there, there is who, who cares about divisions. Even even the, the, there's play from national league to American league. And now everybody uses the DH. So, I, I mean, some of that's good, but it, the, the whole system, uh, the financial structure of Major League Baseball is absolutely insane. And you have teams that absolutely refuse to uh, spend. And, and, and the Rockies, by the way, aren't one of those teams right. that refuses to spend. No, they are not. Okay. There are teams like that. Oh, I can think of one that's still going to be playing in Oakland for another two or three years. Yep. But the, the main problem is with, with deals like this that, you know, the Dodgers are fine with and Otani's fine And with, it gets around the rules. But it gets around the rules. You're exactly right. Bobby Bonilla, of course, makes a $1.19 million every year on uh, Bobby Bonilla Day. Ju- July 1st they call for the it Mets. Bobby Bonilla Day. There will be an overlap. Bobby's last day is 2035. By then, Shoei gets his second deferred check. Of course, his are going to be $68 million per. Wow. The Denver Broncos get it done against the Chargers in what turned out to be a laugher. Now they control their own playoff fate. Can you believe it? It's been fun talking with you about it. We'll break it down all week. Thanks to Cody Rourke from ILI Sports for joining us. Danny Bailey's the man in the booth that makes everything work. Thank you for listening, whether it's FM, HD, MyLifeSports.com, or you made it easy on yourself and got the MyLife Sports app. Sandy and I will be back in just about 22 hours, but you, you don't have to go anywhere because the football talk continues right here on MyLife Sports.